Thank you, Bruce. Good morning, church. How are you? Well, I am uh, from the uh, great country of Texas. <clears throat> That's the uh, same place your uh, pastor is from. However, I remained faithful in the promised land, and he <laughs> chose to migrate, right? Uh, if you would have told me a year ago that I would no longer be uh, the pastor of the Met Church in Houston, Texas, I would have told you, you're crazy. If you'd have told me 30 years ago that I'd be a pastor, I would have told you, you're super crazy. If you'd have told me, gosh, how long has it been? What's uh, 30 some odd years ago in 1979 that I'd be a Christian? I'd, I'd think that you were more stoned than I was back then, right? <laughs> but, but I am a believer. I, 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 I am probably crazy now that I think about it. Uh, because I left a very thriving, very large, multi-site church that I'd spent 20 years in. And uh, the reason I could help your pastor is because I had a lot of dark moments. And I've had a, a lot of moments that I, I thought, you know what, this isn't, I'm not going to make it. But I did, by God's grace. And only to do all that work, go through all that heartache and hassle and happy times and love all those people to say, see ya. I'm going to go to the mission field. And so what you have in front of your hand there, in your hands, I hope, rather, uh, is a little brochure. Uh, by the way, if you can't recognize me, that, that's me uh, right there. Uh, when I go to Africa, because I am so pale, it's, it's like it's no fun playing Where's Waldo because there he is right there, right? <laughs> <clears throat> and so this is what we do now, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. I started doing it when I was a pastor. Uh, and understanding my responsibility to the world. And then it just got to the point, and I'm going to share with you this morning how it got to that point, where I thought, I, I can't not go and do that. Uh, I was doing both at the same time. And then I really believed that God was calling me to this new work. And believe me, I, uh, I, I, I am now really a man of faith. <laughs> I have no church. Uh, I have no church credit card any longer. Uh, I don't have a church office. I don't have any of that stuff, but I have great joy and peace in my heart that I know I'm doing what God's called me to do. And thank God for your missionary pastor who used to be a missionary. Isn't that something? He used to be, now he's a pastor. I used to be a pastor, and I'm a missionary. I wish I'd never met you, tell you the truth. <laughs> uh, it's amazing what God will do with your life if you allow him, and you have the kind of heart that Jesus has for people. And I want to talk to you about that today. And so if you have a Bible, uh, you can open them to Luke chapter number 10. If you don't, <clears throat> they'll be on the screens in large print for those of us who are over 40. All right? Yeah, you laugh now. You wait. <laughs> you, I used to laugh too. You wait. Now I get up in the morning and pull stuff, getting out of bed. All right? One day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do? to inherit eternal life. Great question, isn't it? I mean, isn't that why you're here? I mean, partly. I'm making sure I'm on the right road. Am, do I have eternal life? Am I, am I doing the right stuff? Am I really a Christian? Am I, am I saved? And Jesus replied to him, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and all your strength and all your mind. We just sang about it, right? And love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus said. You passed the test. You got it right. Do this, and you're going to live. 
The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? If we were to come up to Jesus today, after his death and resurrection, say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And you were to answer, you know, uh, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Jesus would say, right. And then he would say, go out now and live this. Go do this thing. Go live what you have just said. And in an answer, you know, trying to qualify who is my neighbor, I mean, how many people do I really have to love as much as I love God? And so it's kind of like when I was a pastor, I'd always, you know, I, I did a lot of youth camps, talked to a lot of kids, talked to them about sexual purity, and, and no matter where I was, how I was preaching about it, afterwards we have question and answer, and someone would raise their hand, and they would say, well, how far is too far? And I would always answer that by saying, whatever you're thinking about in your mind right now is probably too far, right? So we always want to know, who do I have to love? Who, who, who do I have to show compassion? I mean, there's a whole world out there. And, 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 and if we're not careful, we're going to end up loving everybody. Oh, what a shame that would be, right? Yeah. So Jesus answered his question with a story. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, a Levite, also saw him and walked over and looked at him lying there, and he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he, say it with me, church, felt compassion. We're going to do that again. You want, usually when I said it at my church, they said it back to me. Ready? And he what? Felt compassion. Felt compassion. Felt it. His heart went out to him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. Ready? Now here's the test. I think we can pass this one. Now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by the bandits? Who was it? Very good. Half you passed. Half you need to wake up and know that we're preaching now, okay? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, yes. Now go and do the same. Go and do the same. Why is it that we are not compassionate to people? Why is it we don't feel for people and their plight and their urgency and, and where they are anymore? You know, that, that whole word compassion has a cost to it. It means you are, are so moved. It's a word for mercy. You are so moved that it's almost like your, your, your insides flip. Have you ever felt that way for someone? Uh, when you see them, you just, oh, my heart breaks for them, right? Oh, that's so unfortunate for them. Oh, that's whatever the situation or cause may be. But true compassion just doesn't say, oh, bless their heart, which in Texas is interpreted, you're dumber than a box of rocks, right? It's, 
It's, man, I, I, I'm going to do something to help that person. So listen to what Jesus says about compassion. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Now what people? All people. Jesus, the Bible says God so loved the what? World. That's everybody. And so it's not just the Jewish people that Jesus is feeling compassion for. You know, it's, it's just not the people that are in the Roman Empire. It's just not the Greeks. It's just not the barbarians. It's everybody. He sees them, and they all have this outward appearance, and they all had some kind of religious belief, or maybe they all lost their moral compass. And all Jesus could say is, I so feel for them that they are dispirited. They are like sheep without a shepherd. Nobody's caring for their soul. So in Jesus' definition of who we should have compassion for, our neighbor then is anyone who is in need that we have the ability to help. Anyone that's in need that we have the ability to help. Compassion always has a cost. And if you take compassion out of Christianity, all you have left is hypocrisy. At best, religion. You don't have true heart of Christ Christianity. Now, what did Jesus' compassion lead him to do? Because we were sheep without a shepherd? Because we had wandered away from the guardian of our soul? Because we were lost as balls in high weeds? We are lost as one of the golf balls that I shoot? What did he do? He paid the cost for his compassion. What was it? He died for us. He gave everything to be and show compassion for us. So he gives this parable then. And he talks about different people and their reaction to people in need. And first of all, there comes a priest. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. So in other words, he's in the same lane as this human wreck has been beaten, stripped. He's probably comatose, in and out of consciousness. He is bloody. He's obviously, it could be recognized as a Jew, one of his own people. And he sees this wreck of humanity in the lane of form, and he just decides to pass on by. Not to even recognize that the guy is there. Now here's the deal. A priest was somebody in the Old Testament that represented God to man and man to God. So you would think if anybody would understand compassion, it would be somebody who, whose heart is in the ministry of being a go-between between God and man and man and God. But rather than being the go-between that he should, he did a go-around. He said, I don't have time. I'm going to church. I don't have time for you. If I don't get there, I'm going to get the seat in the hot section, and I don't want to be there. I got ministry to do. Don't bother me. I'm on a, I am on a mission for God, and it doesn't involve you. And that's most churches. We're on a mission from God, and it doesn't involve you. You're not like us. We'll be with the people who are like us, but we want to be with the people that 
aren't like us. And so he passes him by on the other side. No compassion, no cost. So I, you know what? I live in Houston, Texas, and the traffic is horrible. The only other place I can compare it to is L.A., right? I have watched people, <laughs> I'm confessing now, I have been one of these people who when somebody breaks down, I ain't stopping. <laughs> you know what? It's too bad to be you, buddy. Somebody will come by and help you later. I got to go. I'm going to church. <laughs> I got to preach. I'm needed. You don't need me. Well, let me do you a favor and call 911. Oh, man, I left my cell phone at the house. Too bad. You know what? When you're on a mission going to church, you don't let anything stop you, do you? And it doesn't matter how you feel, but the moment you get in that parking lot, you are spiritual. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? You argued, fussed, fought, bought donuts, threw donuts at each other, forgot stuff, went back, back, got a racket second rack. You step out of that car, praise God, I'm so glad to be in church. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I pastored for over 33 years. I never once had an argument with my wife or had to spank my kids or get in a tussle with them on the way to church. Do you know why? I got up early and I took my own car. <laughs> Inside secrets that you don't know about. <laughs> so this guy just went around him. He was too busy. Second guy's a Levite, temple assistant, walked over, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Now, the Levite, he's not the man, but he's the man that works for the man. He's on staff, right? <laughs> he's the guy that's cleaning up. He's the guy that's making sure the knives are sharp, you know, the blood's washed off, and just ministering to the guy who's doing the ministry, because without that, the guy couldn't do his ministry. And he, at least, stops to look at the guy. He looks at him. It's a man. You're in bad shape, dude. Wow, I wonder if somebody could come because I got to go. There are preschoolers waiting on me. And without me doing preschool, he ain't going to be able to preach. So, you know, maybe if you're still here when I get back, but hey, got to go. Or, and I'm on my way to Bible study and we studied about people like you. <laughs> You're messed up. You, you've been hanging with the wrong people, haven't you? You're one of those guys we talk about on Fox News. We don't want to be around you. We're just going to come right over here. And we're going to pass on by. Hope you're okay. I'm going to tell you, it is difficult in our Western society to have compassion on all the people that God wants us to have us compassion on because we listen to other people who tell us these are bad people. These people are going to ruin our country. Let me tell you, our country has been ruined for a long time, folks. If you think gay marriage is going to ruin our country, it's been ruined a long time before that. A long time. And what happens if a gay couple who's married moves next door to you? What are you going to do? Lane over and going to keep on going. We have neighbors? What neighbors? I don't have any neighbors. Or are you going to do this one? Oh, you're the people we've been protesting about. Oh, man. <laughs> or what if a Muslim 
Taliban, whomever. But we've been conditioned to love certain people. And usually they're a lot like us. And we'll be compassionate to certain people. But there are certain people that media and our culture have told us no compassion. Enemies. So here's what I want you to do. Quit watching CNN and Fox News and listening to talk radio all day long. Because here's what they're going to tell you. These people are the enemy. The people have never been the enemy. People have been the mission. And now the mission's the enemy? When the mission's the enemy, we don't do the mission anymore, do we? There's no compassion. You're not like me. You don't look like me, talk like me. Your morals are bad. Your, your, your morality is bad, though. And, and, and whatever you are, here's all I have for you. And that's a step around. A step around. I want to go around you. I don't want to go to you. And then, a Samaritan. A Samaritan. No compassion, no cost to pay. You're going to keep going, keep doing my thing, right? A Samaritan. And what's a Samaritan? It is a mixed race of Jew and Gentile. When the Jews went into captivity because of their sin against God and they never gave him his sabbatical year, 70 years they went into captivity. Some stayed behind in Jerusalem, torn, burned down, burned up. Those people intermarried with the nations around them and adopted their gods. So when the Israelites came back, they separated from them. Said, if you're not going to serve the Lord like us, you can't be Jewish anymore. So you've got the Samaritans who basically believe the first five books of the Bible. And then you've got the Jews that believe the rest of the Old Testament. So they are racially and theologically opposed to one another. There is a great, deep divide between them. But watch what this Samaritan does. Then a despised Samaritan. Despised by whom? The Jews. Despised Samaritans and despised Gentiles. Now, who's a Gentile? Anybody who's not a Jew, right? A Samaritan, they even despised them worse because they were half Jewish and in their minds weren't true to their Jewishness, right? And so a despised Samaritan came along, same type of person Jesus talks to at the well, the woman at the well, and the disciples are shocked. He is talking to a Samaritan woman. (gasps) came along, and when he saw the man, say it with me, church, he felt compassion for him. It's the first one out of the whole bunch to feel compassion for him. Somebody had to pay a cost. What was he willing to pay the cost on? His prejudice. His prejudice. He had to overcome his own prejudice, how the Jews felt about him, how he felt about the Jews, what was said in the community, what he was grown up with, why we don't hang around with those people and do the things that those people do, and why we hate them. I was talking to a friend of mine not too long ago, and, and he brought somebody's name up, and he said, now, why aren't we supposed to like them? And I just laughed. I said, what? <laughs> he said, brother, I know there's something he did. We, we're not supposed to like him anymore. I said, bro, that's so wrong, man. And that was me we were talking about, by the way. So anyway. (laughs) Listen to what Jesus said. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different than anyone else? 
Even pagans do that. Even pagans do that. People so far outside of God, they don't even know how to spell his first name. G-O-D, by the way. They don't. They're pagans. But they know to treat each other. You know, I've been lost. You know, the beauty of, of my life is I was lost, then I was saved. That would be all of us, by the way, just in case you thought that was a trick. And there was a time that I understood what darkness was. And I know what it's like to be lost and be not socially acceptable. The first, the first, after I got saved, the first time I walked into church, everybody immediately hid their daughters. I found one of them, but immediately they hid them. Because I had a past. And in my past, I was everything they did not want their children to be. And then I got saved. And now it's hard for them, for them to believe. I'm one of you. Please let me see your daughter. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how bad it was. My own, bless her heart, mother-in-law. Bless her heart. <laughs> a true Texan. <laughs> made me go get a medical examination to make sure that none of my brains were gone before I married their daughter. <laughs> Bless her heart. <laughs> now that I've had children, I want them to be examined <laughs> to see if their brains are gone, right? <laughs> had to get over his prejudice. Um, seriously, seriously. Listen to what the Bible says about this guy. That a despised Samaritan came along and when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. He did something that many of us need to do. We need to drop prejudices that we have. I'm telling you the most beautiful picture of Christianity that I've seen displayed upon the media were those killings in that uh, uh, African Methodist church. And afterwards... After they killed their pastor, cold, after he cold, a white guy goes in and kills a bunch of our brothers and sisters that are black. And then he said he wanted to start a race war. And then they're interviewing the, vic, the victim's families. And here's what they said. We hurt, we miss, we grieve, but we forgive you. And the whole time I'm watching CNN... The reporters keep saying, well, how could this happen? Why can they do this? How do, where does this come from where they could, where they could have compassion on this guy and, and, and forgive him? Nobody could answer the question. Do you know why? That's how rare compassion and love is in our world that it's so much like Jesus, the world can't recognize him anymore. Even when he's displayed through the graciousness of his people. That's how rare compassion is. That's how rare. So he had to overcome his prejudice. And he has to go to him. Now look, here, here's what I believe. I believe that God will bring to your doorstep those that you will not go to. So, you're prejudiced and, and you don't like somebody, guess what God's going to do? Going to move them in next door to you. Because if you won't go, he'll bring them to you. So the Samaritan knows this. Look in verse 34. Going over to him. Going over to him. The Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil. Going to him. I've heard those words going before. 
go where? Into what? All the world. Now, now why didn't the Samaritan, why didn't the Jewish person who was beat up go to the Samaritan? Guess what? You ready? He beat up. He's unconscious. He doesn't know. I need help, and I got to go to the Samaritan to help me. Do we think for a second that the people that are in the world actually believe that they know what they need and they will come and get what they need? No. Did you? No. Your parents drug you to church, maybe. Or, or, or you're, maybe you're in church today because that's the only way you could see their daughter. Smart mom and dad, by the way. But someone had to go to you. And years ago, there was this great big lie out there in the church world. And it went like this. If you build it, they will come. Jesus is in heaven saying, I never said that. I said, I'll build my church and they'll go. We said, no, no, we got a better idea. We'll build these buildings. They'll come. Jesus said, it ain't going to work. Yeah, watch. So we spend billions of dollars on buildings and there are still more lost people in the world than there ever have been before. And just because they drive by and see our sign doesn't mean they're going to turn in. Now it happens. It's happened in my church. I'm sure it's happened at your church. But somebody dropped seeds in those people's lives. And do you think the people of the world who look at Christianity as the opposite of what they believe, as condescending people who are very, very mean folks, mean-spirited, always talking down to people, do you think they want to come to our church? No. Why would I? I could go to a bar and have people love on me and never want to know anything about me or could care less about what, what I have done. But if I go to a church, do you believe this? Do you believe that? Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? Do you do this? Do this? And normally we lie about it so they'll let us in, right? <laughs> then we have to be hypocrites and liars for the whole time we're there. This guy goes to him and look what he does. He soothed his wounds with olive oil, bandaged them, put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. It took his time. It took his time. People take time. And if you think evangelism is telling a person one time about Jesus and them getting saved, you don't live in a real world. You know what? It's a seed and it plants and it germinates and it's got to be grown and watered and tilled and weeds pulled and then it might produce some fruit. I mean, there are people in heaven today that were praying for me to save that never saw me saved on this earth because they just prayed and they talked and they witnessed and it takes time. It takes time out of our schedule. It takes money. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins telling him, take care of this man. If a bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I am here. I want you to see Jesus in this one. Here's what Jesus said. All authority is given unto me. Go into all the world. Proclaim the gospel. And when you do, teach them everything. Baptize them. Teach them. And I am with you to the end of this age. And he said, and I'll be back. And when I come back, I'll repay you for everything you've done to accomplish this mission. So obviously this guy is trusted. He's been down this road before. He goes to the innkeeper. He says, hey, I'm going to give you two weeks worth of wages. This guy's really beat up. I want you to take care of him. And you know, I'm going to come back. And when I do, if he spends any more than that, trust me, you know I'm good for it. I will pay you back. 
And there is nothing that we have done in the name of Jesus that Jesus will not reward us for when he comes back here. But it takes money to be compassionate to people. We have an orphanage in my ministry in Uganda. A nice one. And it takes money to run that. Not a whole lot of money, but it takes money. And we have enough room for 70, 76 kids. We have 27 there. Do you know why? Because like when a child was born into my family and I had two, I knew I was, I'm responsible for you until you're 18. Boy, was I really cutting low on that. It's more like 25, right? And so we know that when someone says, hey, we want to sponsor a kid. Well, I said, well, do you want to sponsor him for 25 years? What? What? Uh, what? Mass? You know, no. <laughs> well, you think he's going to, you know, we're going to throw him out on the street after two years and you're, you're through sponsoring him? You know, here's what we want to do with these kids. That's why we built a church in the community. That's why we built the orphanage there. So they will grow up and they will know God. And when they know God, we, we also have a school so that we can educate them. Then we want to send them to college so they can run their countries. So they can influence the people that are in these developing countries. So that those countries won't end up like this country. That takes money. How many of you all still have kids? Raise your hand. How many of them are grown? Raise your hand. How many of them are gone? Raise your hand. How many of them are on their own? Raise your hand. Look at that. Their hands went down significantly. It takes a while to get a kid. It takes money. Now listen to what... I did some arithmetic, right? Because I have uh, had a, a very large church, uh, two different sites, cost a lot of money. And I was always asking my people, give to this, give to this, give to this. And, and they would respond. And uh, so I was adding up, what percentage of our money does it take to win a convert? Or how much money does it take to win a convert? So we, last year I was there, we baptized in round numbers about 500 people. And <clears throat> so I added up the cost for the land, for the second site, the building, the staff, everything, right? And it ends up being about $40,000 a convert. That's more than what some people make. It's a lot more than what I make right now. But $40,000 is a lot of money. And that's, you know, with a $10 million budget and $5 million bill, $40,000 a convert. We sent $1 million to the mission field. We sent $1.5 million, but $1 million primarily for evangelistic events. The rest was infrastructure and things that we were doing. A million dollars netted salvations that cost $10 a piece. That's 10,000 people. $10 a piece. Now, do the math. Where would you invest more money? I started looking at it and said, I love church, but it costs a lot of money to do church. And you got to do church in order to get the money to send to the mission field, right? And so I got to thinking, well, what if I could do the same and I could get a $10 million to the mission field every year rather than having a $10 million budget and then having to build a, a $5 million building and buying a $7 million piece of property. What if all of that just went to the mission field? But it can't. Do you know why? Because 
well, in Houston, maybe not here. You need air conditioning or you're not going to come to church. You need preschool buildings, not just buildings, nice ones, with stuff on the wall and snacks for your kids. But don't let them be gluten. They have to be gluten-free. <laughs> Go to Africa and ask for gluten-free. <laughs> really? You want a gluten-free snack? Go get a jackfruit, <laughs> you know? Then, then on top of that, you have to have Bible studies. You, you don't join the church because you don't want to give up guest parking. I know you people. Then when you come in, you say, when's men's night? And when we're going to go camping? And what about ladies' Bible studies and, and preschools and Awanas and Bahanas and everything else that we got to do? And then if it lasts too long, I'm going to leave. You may not want me to, but when you're praying, I'm slipping out of here because I know the offering's coming at the end and I ain't giving. You hear about three guys that were talking about their giving habits? There was a Methodist, there was an Episcopalian, and a Baptist. And they said, well, how do you, how do, you do your giving at your church? They said, well, here's what I do. My Episcopalian said, what I do is I draw a circle, and I, I stand outside the circle, and I take all of my money, and I throw it up in the air. Anything lands in the circle is God's. Anything outside the circle is mine. The Methodist said, well, that's pretty interesting. I kind of do the same thing. I draw a circle, only I stand in it. And I throw all my money up in the air. And anything that lands in the circle is mine. Anything outside the circle is God's. They turned to the Baptist. They said, well, what do you do? He goes, well, I kind of do the same thing. I draw a big old circle like this and stand in the middle of it. I take all my money and I throw it up in the air. And anything that God catches, he can keep. And the rest is mine. I just want to say by some church budgets, God's fumble fingers. He's not catching a whole lot of that. <laughs> right? This, and we're almost, what time are we supposed to be out of here? What time did we start? We at 1030. Oh, we got three more hours. Okay. <laughs> this is what the Samaritan believed about his giving. Give freely and become more wealthy. So we don't believe that, do we? Here's what we believe. Give, I have less. But no, God says, give and I'll make you more wealthy. Well, how does that work? Because every time I give, I have less. When I write the bill, I, they take my money, I have less. When I have a child, well, I don't even have any enough money to do that, right? But he said, if you give, you're going to become more wealthy. Why is that? Because Jesus is coming back again. And listen to what Jesus says in Revelation 22, 12. Look. I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. You've heard it said you cannot outgive God, but I'm telling you everything you do give God, he's going to reward you for. Not necessarily here and not necessarily in money, but I'm telling you, you can take the time that you have on this earth and the money that God's given you and you can transmute that into something that lasts for eternity. And I'll close with this story here. Luke chapter 18. This is a story that Jesus told about money and, and his people, us. And there is this guy who was a money manager. And his boss called him and asked him, how's my money doing? And he said, well, man, I bought a brand new Rolls. I got a new pool. I got a vacation home in Carmel. He said, I'm talking about my money. Oh, yeah, I made all that money off of you. He goes, no, what have you done for me? Click. <laughs> 
And so this guy's squandering his master's money. He said, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to take away your management of my money. You're fired and I'm going to check the books. And so this guy's thinking to himself, man, I'm going to lose my job. I got a little bit of time left and I've got a little bit of money and all both of those are going to be gone because I'm going to get fired. He said, I know what I'll do. I'm going to go to my boss's people who is loaned money and I'm going to cut them a deal. And so when I cut them a deal, that'll ingratiate me to them. And then when I'm without a job and without a place to live, because I don't like to do manual labor, I can't work with my hands. In fact, your pastor and I have the same uh, birth defect. We both had a mechanical bypass at birth. And so we can't work with our hands. That's why our mouths move all the time, right? (laughs) So he goes... so maybe they'll take me in and I'll have somebody take care of me. I don't want to dig ditches and I don't want to beg and I'm used to a lifestyle here. So he goes to his boss's people who owe him money. He goes to his, his boss's customer. He said, well, how much you owe my boss? He said, I owe him a million dollars. He said, write a check for seven fifty, and we'll forgive the other two fifty. dollars Are you kidding me, man? This is the best day of my life. If I can ever do anything for you, please let me know. And the guy takes a check and says, don't worry. I will. Goes his other... Uh, guy that owes his boss stuff. What, what do you owe my boss? He said, well, I see in the books here you owe him $2 million. I'll tell you what, write me a check for 1.2. We'll forget the 800000 Go, Oh my gosh, you are so generous. Oh, believe me, if there's anything ever that I could do for you, will you please let me know? He takes the check and he says, don't worry, I will. He goes to the third guy, what do you owe? He said, I owe your boss about $1.5 million. He said, write me a check for a million. We'll let the five hundred dollars go. He said, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is the greatest day of my life. If I can ever do anything for you, will you please let me know? Don't worry, I will. So his boss comes back and he finds out what this guy did. Now listen to what Jesus says in Luke 18, verse 8. The master commended the dishonest manager because he acted shrewdly, right? He said, you're, you're a lowlife and a scumbag, but you're a smart lowlife scumbag, right? <laughs> you are a shrewd dude. Now look at what Jesus says. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of light. In other words, when it comes to money, The people of this world know how to transmute the little bit of time that they have and the little bit of money that they have into more money. How do they do that? When I went out and uh, uh, found the 100 acres for our church, I wasn't even a road going to it. But there was a road of construction going to it. And I went in there and I saw that they were going to build this uh, community. It's going to have 1,500 rooftops in it. And there was no church out there yet. There wasn't even a road to it. But yet these people took the little bit of time that they had and the money, and they're going to transmute that into a community where people for the next 20 years are going to be giving them money. And they were going to be making money hand over fist. They're smart. But he says the children of light, us, we're not that smart with money. Listen to what he says. I tell you, use worldly wealth to what? Gain friends for yourself. So when it is gone, and it will be gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. How do I use money and time in such a compassionate way that I transmute it into something that when time and money is gone, I have something in eternity? How do you do it? You give it compassionately to reach people for Christ. 
last week, the last two weeks rather, the people that have given to our ministry have part of the 10, over 10,000 high school students that gave their life in, outside of Nairobi, Kenya. 10,000. When's the last time you heard of 1,000 people being saved in any one of our churches? Maybe 1,000 over a year. The harvest is out there in the world. Jesus said, lift up your eyes and look into the harvest. Not every field is white on the harvest. Now, I baptized 500 people, and that's great. But in two weeks, 10,000 people get saved? I want to I be in on that. I want some of that. I want to give my time and my money to transmute the little bit of time and a little bit of money I have into something eternal. Then listen what it says, and they will welcome you into eternal dwellings. What did they do for that dishonest manager? When he lost his job, guess what he did? They opened up the door. Oh, buddy, come on in, man. Oh, man, I got bad news. I lost my Oh, don't worry about a job. I don't have a place. Oh, come stay with us. I don't have any food. Oh, we'll feed you. Here's some pocket money. I'll get you a job tomorrow. You're going to stay here in the best room. You're the best friend that I have. Thank you for doing that and forgiving me of that debt that I had. You're the best friend that I have. Come on in here. Now, listen. When you get to heaven and when I get to heaven, people whose faces you do not know, you don't even know they're saved. And if you did, you couldn't even talk to them about it. They speak a different language. When you die and you are at that pearly gate and that gate opens, here they are going to be. Wow, you're here. What can we do for you? If it wasn't for what you gave, if you hadn't stopped and been compassionate, if you hadn't given your time and your money, I'd be dying and go to hell. But look, come into this eternal dwelling where you're never going to have to worry about anything else again. That's why I'm a missionary now. And that's why I like preaching to churches because you can be a part of that. That can be you. You can take the little bit of time and the little bit of money that you have right now and transmute it to something you can be the good Samaritan. But that's a choice that you have to make. A long time ago in 1979, in the front seat of my car, somebody had compassion on me. I was out selling cocaine. I was so miserable. I made somebody tell me about Jesus. I, may, I asked him, would you please tell me about Jesus? That's what I said to this guy that went to a Baptist church. Please tell me about Jesus. And when he did, I gave my life to Christ. You know why I gave my life to Christ? Not because I was afraid of going to hell. Not because I believed that God was mad at me. I was overwhelmed with the love of Christ so much that I gave him my life. And I don't know what you're into or what you're missing or what's going on in your life personally. Maybe you weren't, you're not a dope dealer. Or maybe you're a nice, upstanding person, but inside of your heart, you're saying, I wish somebody loved me. Wish somebody had compassion on me. There is somebody, his name's Jesus, and he took a little bit of time, and he didn't redeem you with money, but with the precious blood that was inside of his body. And he took that little bit of time dying on that cross. And for everyone who believes in him, he transmutes their lives into eternal life. And you, if you give your life to Jesus today, will know what that's like. And the rest of us that already know the Lord, what are we doing for the Lord? I'm not working to be saved. I'm not even working because I'm saved. My salvation and my ministry, different. I love the Lord. But because I love the Lord, I love people. And I'm in the ministry because I love people and I want to see them saved at whatever the cost might be.
And if you're not there yet, then you need to get to the point today where you know what, I love the Lord and I'm saved and I know it, but let's go beyond that. Go and do the same, Jesus said. Go now and have compassion on people. Would you pray with me as we get ready to close out our service? If you've never given your life to Christ and three people this morning in the first service raised their hand, they gave their life to Christ, I'm going to say a prayer out loud. And if it's your heart's desire to want to know Jesus as your Savior, then I'm going to ask you to pray that prayer inside of your heart, if you would. And the prayer goes like this. Dear Jesus, have compassion on me. I'm lonely. I'm beaten up inside. I'm really half dead. And I ask you to restore me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you for hearing my prayer and saving my soul. If you just prayed that for the first time, nobody's looking around, just me and you, let me know you did that. Just hold your hand up real high. Hold your hand up real high. Good. Anybody else? Good. Thank you, sir. Ma'am. Good. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, young man. Three or four raising their hands right now. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody else? Good. Father, thank you for these new believers in Christ who have today said, have compassion on me, Jesus. And Lord, I pray for the rest of us that with a little bit of time, little money you've given us, we'd be the good Samaritan, willing and ready to pay any cost at any time to see anybody saved that needs to be saved. Lord, thank you for this church. Thank you for their missionary heart. Thank you for their pastor. May he continue to lead them as he continues to follow you. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you look on the screen, if you would, text that number, 34444. Does everybody have a smartphone, cell phone? If you would go to texting, just give it to your wives. They'll do it, guys. And uh, to whom? Put 34444. That's 1334s and text the word global. You'll get a weekly update. Last week I sent out about the 10,000 plus kids that got saved through our high school ministries there in Nairobi. And then uh, I won't ask for money, but you'll just know this is what God is doing through the ministry of Reach Youth Global. God bless you. Thanks so much for joining us on this edition of Cross Points. If you have any questions about what you just heard, please call our church office at 714-848-5511. If you are nearby next Sunday, we have services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Visitors are always welcome at Crosspoint, and we hope you'll choose to worship with us when you're near the Huntington Beach community.